0: So next week, I'm hoping to look at the um, issue more from the perspective of, um, you know, it's being a widespread calamity, like something similar to an earthquake, right, or something like that. Um, Often what our scholars will do is that they'll view, you know, calamities like this from the perspective of um, our wrongdoing, okay? So we've engaged in certain sorts of wrongdoing this wrongdoing has, in a sense, become systemic. Uh, It's become what Bedouzman referred to as general. You know, most people are involved in it. Um, And therefore, uh, you know, we suffer a sort of, uh, you know, a certain calamity, be it an earthquake or, in this case, a virus. Um, So I'll look at the issue from that perspective next week because all kinds of questions, you know, arise from that. Uh, Foremost, what comes to mind is, well, what about, all the people who aren't wrongdoers that are nonetheless affected by this. You know, um, what about, for example, um, you know, children uh, or very pious people? Right? Um, not everybody will be a wrongdoer in the same sense as everybody else. Um, but yet, it seems that calamities like this sort of, um, you know, strike everybody. Uh, so, you know, how does Bedouzaman um, uh, understand this? You know, how does he, how does he? Um, uh, rationalizes, I guess. Um, so I'll look at that inshallah next week. Um, today I want to look at the issue from the perspective of um, what's known as, translating to English, as weakness and poverty, right? So we are ajiz and fakir, right? We are weak and impoverished. Um, so yeah, uh, I want to read a section from Badizaman um, Nursi's 23rd word which is about belief. Um, it's in two chapters. The first chapter is about, um, yeah, I mean, the, the the treatise in its entirety is about uh, fruits of belief or benefits of belief, you know, what, why it's better to be a believer than not. Um, uh, so I'm going to read a section from just, yeah, like a one-and-a-half, um, maybe two-page section from the second chapter um, of that where he's going to talk about uh, weakness and poverty in a way where maybe many of us have not, um, uh, in a, in a way that maybe many of us are not used to thinking about weakness and poverty. Because if I say to you, hey, you know, Shabia, you are absolutely weak and impoverished, like to the highest degree, you'll potentially, like you know, if you're a secular-minded person, let's say, um, potentially you're going to view that as something bad, right? Aren't you? Right? You're going to view that as uh, something disliked, something disadvantageous, um, n- yeah, not at all beneficial. But Bedouzman sees it as yeah, entirely dignified, entirely beneficial. In fact, he sees it as so uh, valuable that he actually makes it, he makes weakness and poverty together two out of four um, parts to, like, he makes it 50% of his entire path toward Allah, right? So he's got a path toward the knowledge and worship of Allah. Okay? That's what we're all trying to do. Right? That's what we're all created to do. We're created to come to know Allah and express that knowledge through worship, okay? Um, Bidu Zaman has a four-step or right? a four-pillar methodology for treading that path, right? Uh, for walking that path right? and hopefully at the end of it coming to know Allah. Uh, to the extent that's possible for a finite being at least, he has four fundaments. One of those fundaments is weakness, the other is poverty. The other is compassion, right, which is really just seeing the weakness and poverty of those other than yourself. <laughs> okay? um, and then finally he has Tefakur, okay? reading the Book of the Universe and noticing the divine names and attributes manifested in this Book of the Universe. Okay, so it's a kind of contemplation that focuses on uh, noticing the divine name, uh, names and attributes manifested. Okay, so at least 50, if not 75% of his whole path to God is based on this. So he sees it as something extremely advantageous. So how can that be so? Um, and he talks about this in many, many parts of the Risale um, Inur. But if we read just this short section, uh, we'll get a sense of it. Okay, Um let me say first this. Why talk about weakness and poverty in a part of the risale in nur that's about belief? And in general, it's going to be for this reason, love. So what's the relation between the two? Um, anybody who says that they believe in Allah, okay, has, as a result of that belief, okay, um, what logically follows, in other words, from that belief is the belief in one's weakness and poverty. Um, it's, let me put it this way, the person that says that they believe in a being named Allah, right? No. the person that believes in that being, but at the same time thinks that they are to some degree powerful, they are to some degree um, able to meet their own needs themselves, right? that they have capabilities that are theirs, um, they have capabilities in and of themselves that don't really have anything to do, that aren't in any way dependent upon Allah. Any person that thinks of themselves or even other created beings, right, other non-divine beings, in that way, right, has misunderstood who Allah is. Okay. Because what kind of a being is this being? Right? Allah is a being of infinite beauty and perfection. Right? That means that every single one of his names and attributes is, um, first of all, uh, he doesn't have any uh, non-beautiful attributes, right? He doesn't have any, um, you know, uh, bad attributes, let's say. He doesn't have any uh, attributes that are sort of disadvantageous or, or not good, like, you know, like, for example, he doesn't have weakness, he doesn't have, you know, he doesn't get he doesn't get tired, um, he doesn't have uh, limitation in any way, right? He only has good attributes, okay? And he has every good attribute, right? So he only has attributes of perfection, Right? He has only perfections, and he has every perfection. Right? Every attribute that he has is indeed a perfection, right? in that the attributes that he has, they're not merely good, but they're perfect. Uh, they are in no way limited. They are in no way deficient. They are in no way lacking. Okay? You cannot impute imperfection to any of his names or attributes to any extent at all. Right? They are all absolute in that sense. So that if he has power, his power is absolute. All right, his power is like this. Okay. His power is such that no other beings have power. His power is such that any other being so much as raises a finger, it's only through his permission. It's only through him making that possible. It's only through him actually enabling that. He is the one who actually moves that finger. Okay. He takes into account your choice to move it, right? So you're able to choose... Again, thanks to him, you're able to choose, but you're not able to actually give effect to your choice. That's the kind of being that he is. All power, all ability is associated with, resides in him. Okay. So if he's absolutely powerful in that sense, then what does that mean for us? That means that we don't have any power at all. Okay. Um, so it follows from that, that we've got to see ourselves as entirely weak and impoverished. Right. Now, if all this is true, right? If that's what it takes to be a believer, um, how is it that any of this is good? Alright, So that's what we'll uh, focus on now. Let me read now from the second chapter of the twenty-third word, and I'm going to just pick a part known as the fourth remark. Okay. And I could pick many, many parts, um, but this short section here will give, will give us a gist of it. Inshallah. Okay. mina shaitanir rajim. Bismillahir rahmanir rahim. Fourth remark. Man, let's ask human beings, man resembles a delicate and petted child in the universe. There is a great strength in his weakness and great power in his impotence. I should say, actually, before, I, before we go any further, right? just sort of, there's no confusion here. Right? What he's talking about, like, by, to understand, um, you know, because maybe weakness and poverty could be understood in all different kinds of ways, right? But the easiest way to understand what the means by them is just to see this. Right? If you are uh, weak and impoverished, that means this. Right? You are needy, right? you have all kinds of needs, right? and the human being is needier than anyone else, right? You have all kinds of needs as a human being, however, right? so, uh, yeah, so you are needy, however, you are completely uh, impotent and resourceless to meet any of those needs yourself. All right? So to that extent, you are entirely dependent on someone other than yourself, right? namely Allah. All right. Okay, so anytime we talk about weakness and poverty here, just think about that. We're needy, but we're unable to meet our own needs. Now he's saying there is a great strength in this weakness and a great power in this impotence. Right? How can this be so? For it is through the strength of his weakness and the power of his impotence. Sorry, I've misread that. For it is through the strength of his weakness and power of his impotence that beings have been subjected to him. If man understands his weakness and offers dua supplications verbally and by state and conduct and recognises his impotence and seeks help since he has offered thanks by exhibiting them he achieves his aims and his desires are subjugated to him in a way far exceeding what he could achieve with his own power. Only he sometimes wrongly attributes to his own power the attainment of a wish that has rather been obtained for him through the supplications offered by the tongue of his disposition. Right, so the lisanahal, the way that we are. All right, the way that we are in its own right. Acts as a du'a. All right. Allah sees our you know, pitiful state, our weak and impoverished, our needy and helpless state. Okay, and that counts as a dua. Right, that rises to him as a sort of dua. For example, the strength in the weakness of a chick causes the mother hen to attack a lion. And its newly born lion cub subjugates to itself that savage and hungry lioness, leaving the mother hungry and the cub full see this strength in weakness and manifestation of rahmah, divine mercy, which are worthy of notice. Just as through crying or asking or looking unhappy, a child subjugates the strong to himself and is so successful in getting what he wants that he could not obtain one thousandth of it with a thousand times his own strength. That is to say, Since weakness and impotence excite compassion and the sense of protection towards him, the child can subjugate heroes to himself with his tiny finger. Now, should such a child with foolish conceit deny the compassion and accuse the protection, saying, I subjugate these with my own strength, of course he will receive a slap. In the same way, like Qarun, if like Qarun, Man says, I have been given it. This is a Quranic verse being rendered here in English. Okay. I have been given it on account of the knowledge I have. Right, so if we talk like that, that is if we say, I gain this through my own knowledge and my own power in a way that demonstrates ingratitude and denies his creator's mercy and accuses his wisdom, he will of course deserve a punishing blow. This means that man's domination and human advances and the attainments of civilization, which are to be observed, have been made subject to him, to man, not through his attracting them or conquering them or through combat, but due to his weakness. He has been assisted because of his impotence, so his inability to meet his own needs himself. That's why, that's why we've achieved anything at all. They have been bestowed on him due to his indigence. He has been inspired with them due to his ignorance. Okay, we come across some wondrous scientific discovery. It's not actually better than saying, yeah, right? Quite counterintuitive, maybe, right? It's not actually through great intelligence. It's not because we're so smart that we make these advances, right? It's actually through our ignorance. Okay, how so? We'll come back to this, shoulder. Okay, so the reason for his domination is not strength and the power of knowledge. Uh, sorry, Yeah, sorry, here we go. He has been inspired with them. Due to his ignorance. They have been given him due to his need. And the reason for his domination, okay, so man's domination, let's say, over the animal kingdom, right, or the domination of some uh, men by others, right, so the reason for this domination is not strength and the power of knowledge, but the compassion and clemency of the sustainer and divine mercy and wisdom. They have subjugated things to him. So Allah has subjugated things to him. Yes, what clothes man who is defeated by vermin like eyeless scorpions and legless snakes? And elsewhere he mentions also microscopic germs. Right? If he was here today, he'd say, no doubt, you know, microscopic or unintelligent and unconscious viruses. All right. All right. So how is it that man is defeated by things like this? All right. All right. So anyway, so man who is defeated by things like this. All right. All right? What clothes man who is defeated by vermin like eyeless scorpions and legless snakes in silk from a tiny worm and feeds him honey from a poisonous insect is not his own power, but the subjugation of the sustainer, the Rabb, and the bestowal the most merciful, which are the fruits of his weakness. O oh man, since the reality of the matter is thus, give up egotism and arrogance. With the tongue of seeking help, proclaim your impotence and weakness at the divine court. And with the tongue of entreaty and dua, supplication, your poverty and need. Okay, so with the tongue of entreaty and supplication, proclaim your poverty, poverty and need. Show that you are His slave. Say, okay, another verse in the Quran, right? It's the well-known one: Allah <laughs> Allahu an al wakil." Allah is enough for us, for He is the best disposer of affairs. Right. So say that, right? Show that you are a slave. Recite that verse and rise in degree. Also, do not say, "I am nothing." Right? You know how often the um, uh, you know the secular person is going to um, show you a big map, right? You know a big uh, graphic of the universe, right? And show us how insignificant we are in that overwhelmingly large universe. Right? Um, okay. Okay, so, in a sense, what are they saying? That we're nothing, right? We're insignificant. right? So do not say that, Betis- Betis- not saying. Don't say, I am nothing. What importance do I have that the universe should purposely be made subject to me by an absolutely all-wise one and universal thanks required of me? Because, for sure, you are as though nothing, with respect to your soul, your nafs and form, but, okay, so looking at our physical self, like our physical form, right, one tiny physical being in a much larger universe, right, but we also have our immaterial aspects, you know, we have, we're a ruh, right, we have a a nafs, um, okay, um, but nonetheless, you know, we are seemingly this insignificant being, So from the perspective of our physical and even, you know, our immaterial um, aspects, um, yeah, we are as though nothing. However, from the point of view of duty and rank, you are an observant spectator of this majestic universe. So it's it's going to be what he's about to say now. It's in virtue of this that we are, are not nothing. It's in virtue of this, that, we are in fact the highest ranking of beings right? out, of, out of all things that have been created, including, you know, the universe is a physical entity in its own right, like right, the universe is one big entity in its own right. We are higher ranking than that, even, right? Despite our small size, we are higher ranking, right? How so? Like this. We can be at least, anyway. so although we are nothing with respect to soul and form, from the point of view of duty and rank, you are an observant spectator of this majestic universe, an eloquent, articulate tongue of these beings so full of wisdom, a discerning reader of this book of the universe, a supervisor of these creatures, full of wonder at their glorifications, and, like a foreman of these beings... Full of respect for their worship. Yes, O oh man. Okay, last little bit. Yes, O oh man, in regard to your vegetable, physical being and animal soul, you are a death particle, a contemptible atom, a needy creature, a weak animal who, tossed on the awesome waves of the flood of beings, is departing. Right, you're transitory. Here now, later gone. But being perfected through the light of belief, the mood of belief, which comprises the radiance of divine love, and through the training of Islam, which is enlightened. In regard to humanity and servitude to Allah, you are a king and a universal within particularity. We'll try to come back to that little part. You are a universal within particularity and within your insignificance you are a world and within your contemptibility a supervisor of such high rank and extensive sphere that you can say, my compassionate sustainer has made the world a house for me, the sun and moon lamps for it and the spring a bunch of flowers for me and summer, a table of bounties and the animals he has made my servants. And he has made plants, the decorated furnishings of my house. To conclude, if you heed Satan and your nafs, soul, you will fall to safilin, the lowest of the low. But if you heed truth and the Quran, you will rise to the highest of the high, and become the most excellent the most excellent pattern of the universe. Okay? It's the end of that short section. It's one remark out of five in the second chapter of um, the twenty third word. Okay. So a sip of water and we'll just talk about this in other Any thoughts at this stage, brother? Nothing to say yet? Okay. Okay, I'm hoping that my uh, recording is still working. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> it's hard to tell. Okay, it only moves when I speak. Fair enough. <laughs> um, okay, so as I noted at the start, you know, if you ask the non-believer or the secular person or the person not familiar with these matters um, whether you'd rather be weak and impoverished uh, or, you know, um, strong and powerful and able to meet your own needs yourself, you know. You know, naturally, most people would prefer the latter, right? Most people don't like to think of themselves as weak and impoverished. People, you know, like to, um, uh, you know, utter positive affirmations, um, they like to think of themselves as you know, having esteem, right? They're, nobody wants to have low self-esteem, right? It seems that um, being weak and impoverished is, you know, you're, you're one and the same as or goes hand in hand with, um, you know, having low self-esteem, um, you know, being contemptible, being low, right? Just in general being low. But Dizerman's but saying it doesn't need to be that way, okay? Okay. Um, in fact, in fact, the person who thinks he's big and strong, right, high and mighty, still working well? Okay, 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 yeah, I'll have to deal with those later, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, uh, it's actually the person who thinks that, you know, they're they're strong, right, and capable and able to meet their own needs, right? That's the person who's actually low, but as I'm saying, all right. Um, why, why have we chosen to speak about this this point in time? You know, um, that, but speaks elsewhere, like in the context of you know things like earthquakes, you know, just general calamities and so on. Um, generally, he's going to view them, like as we'll see, you know, when we talk about it more next week. Like generally, brother, he's going to see them as um, having this particular function. All right, um, they are there to rouse, like he says, right? If I recall his wording. Um, they're there to rouse the heedless, right, and the um, uh, the disobedient. Okay, the um, yeah, the heedless and the disobedient. Words to that effect. Okay? Um, they're there for. A, they're there as a wake-up call. Okay, they're there to remind us of something. What are they there to remind us of? Primarily, it's this. Right? Yeah, uh, you know. In addition to hey. Reminding us that, look, you're doing wrong, right? Yeah, prima facie, we're being told, look, you're doing wrong, desist from your wrongdoing, right? But what lurks beneath that is this, right? You are weak and impoverished. You are a created being. You're a dependent being. You're a being that has to obey, right? Why it is in the first place that you've got to heed, right? You know, look, what's wrong with being heedless in the first place, right? Why it is that we've got to heed and obey right, is because we're wholly owned beings. You know? um, we're weak and impoverished beings, and it's not for us to decide um, what's right and wrong. Okay? It's not for us to make up our own rules about how we ought to live our lives. Okay? Um, you know, sure, we have wisdom. Um, I don't say that we don't play any role in the matter. Like we have Wijdan, and with that Wijdan, you know, we're able to recognize, you know, often um, uh, you know, the beautiful versus the ugly and so on. You know. Um, but most of our scholars always held that, you know, the wisdom is just an adjunct to revelation. Okay. Um, we need to be human beings, right? With nafs. Um, and, you know, various other, um, uh, faculties are such that we need to be told, okay? We need to be, it needs to be revealed to us how to conduct ourselves, you know, morally speaking, eth- ethically speaking, we need to be told, right? It's not for us just to decide, um, for example, you know, that we're allowed to, um, say, for example, engage in sexual relations out of wedlock, right? Um, you know, ask ask the secular person, ask the non-religious person, and they'll probably think, look, um, you know, as uh, long as you're not hurting anyone, what's wrong with um, having sexual relations with other human beings outside of wedlock? Right? Um, well, the problem is that Allah, with his all-encompassing knowledge, right, knows whether that's good for us or not, okay? Okay. Um, uh, so in relation to all things, in relation to any particular thing about which we might decide, um, uh, right, I, I mean, um, you know, what I mean to say is this, though, so, you know, there's a, certain, um, uh, there is, there's a certain set of divine injunctions, there's a certain um, set of, there, there's a sharia there, right, there's a certain set of commandments, right, in prior times, right, there's a certain way, let's say, that Allah uh, commands us to live, And then, uh, yeah, you know, uh, there's another set of ways that say that we think it's okay for us to live. We see examples of this all the time. I don't even need to, you know, mention them. Um, In each and every single one of those cases where we think that we can behave in a way contrary to how Allah says, Um, in each and every single one of those cases, we're mistaken. We don't have access to all the information. Allah knows, for example, this. He knows that... um, here we are, like, we're free will beings, right? And this notion of free will means that this, this, there's this sort of free variable in this equation, right, that is this created realm. There's this free variable, okay? Um, if Allah was to permit this, or if we were to be allowed to do this, then how would that affect that free variable, all right? Allah knows the answer to those sorts of questions, right? As the Christians would put it, God knows the counterfactuals of creaturely freedom. Okay, um, there are examples of this in the Quran like what well, Allah talks about the fact that he knows that you know, had things have been otherwise this is how we would have acted this is what would have happened now, Allah knows what would have happened in counterfactual situations right? um, he knows this and he knows all truths so given that he has created this universe um, and us within it to achieve certain ends he knows what injunctions are required right uh, in other words, he knows what injunctions are. He knows what way of living, in other words, is optimal uh, relative to that goal. Okay. Um, uh, it's for that reason in the first place that we've got to heed, that we've got to obey. Okay. Um, so that when we don't obey, when we fail to obey, and when this becomes quite uh, general, what happens is that there's a general wake-up call. So, but this one's going to kind of analyze, or he's going to understand rather um, these kind, th- these sorts of uh, widespread uh, calamities. You know, like um, you know, earthquakes uh, uh, is one that he focuses on. Um, but even you know, like the current coronavirus, you know, health uh, crisis can you know be understood along, uh, in, uh, in in a similar way. Um, he's going to understand these in that way. Okay, there's general heedlessness. There's general um, wrongdoing. Okay, um, and therefore there needs to be a general wake up call. Now, what about, what about all the Muslims, you might think, that try, you know, by and large, to avoid a lot of those kinds of wrongdoing, right? You know, um, uh, let's say you've got a refugee crisis in a certain part of the world, and you see many nations building walls or firing tear gas to keep these refugees out. And then you see other nations, right, in particular, generally, you know, Muslim nations that are opening their doors to refugees, right? You know, whether, whether, not just Turkey, but even Lebanon, Jordan. Um, uh, so you might think, well, okay, it seems that, you know, at least the Muslims or at least the observant Muslims, they try to avoid a lot of the kinds of wrongdoing, let's say, that um, the non-observant or the non-religious do. Nonetheless, we see that this, uh, you know, um, uh, current uh, health crisis, it afflicts, uh, you know, the Muslims, right? It afflicts you and I, or even Muslims in uh, Muslim lands. Right? It afflicts, afflicts us almost equally, doesn't it? Um, like we see, for example, that uh, the Muslim, at the moment, is confined to his or her home and can't even go to the Jum'a, let's say, in the same way that the, you know, uh, secular person, Uh, Can't go to a nightclub, right? (laughs) When he made his announcement, I think, on Sunday night, yeah, Uh, in the one announcement, Scott Morrison uh, says that, from now on, uh, we're going to close down a range of things, right? And uh, I recall, right, two things were mentioned among a list of about, you know, 10 places. Um, uh, You know, pubs uh, and and casinos and places like that. And also, you know, as though... You know, these sorts of places were akin to those sorts of places, uh, also, um, uh, places of worship. Okay, so the Muslim person is, in a sense, afflicted by this as well, even if he doesn't yet have the virus. Look, he's in this situation where, uh, he's confined, he, he or she is confined to his or her home, or even worse, right? The Muslim who generally tries to obey, right, we see, uh, is in a situation where they may or may not have income in the coming weeks and months, right? I'd say most of us are confronted with this right now, right? I am, you are, we all are, okay? Um, but, yet you know, you might think, well, hey, I'm not the one who um, supported, um, you know, whatever, certain things, <laughs> okay? Which I don't need to mention, you know what? I didn't, like, at least in my heart, I didn't support certain kinds of general wrongdoing that are being done, let's say. Um, I try to, yeah, obey as much as I can, but yet I'm still afflicted. I, why is this, right? How does it benefit me? Right? Because, again, as we'll talk about next week, you know, uh, in, in, in nearly every case where there's this, um, you know, sort of general calamity, there'll always be some um, who suffer it even though uh, they've not engaged in the kinds of wrongdoing that have precipitated, that have made necessary, that wake up cool, you know. Um, so what benefit is there in the earthquake or the coronavirus and things like that for the person like that, right? That's the thing that should come to mind. That's what the Muslims should should wonder, you know. Um, we should be, uh, and, and here's the thing, like, even if we cannot, um, uh, I mean, here's the thing, like, uh, most matters, like, of this nature in the ghaib for us, right? And we know that none knows the unseen save Allah, right? Uh, okay, so we don't know the gape. Therefore, I can't pinpoint, like I can't know for certain in a fine-grained way, I've me- as I've mentioned in the past. We can't know in a fine-grained way um, what exactly is the reason why uh, um, the COVID-19 virus has been written into uh, the love for muffles, right? Into Qadir, in other words, right? Why is it part of, like regardless of what hand humans have had in it, right? Putting aside all of that, why is it that Khatid has allowed this? Why, uh, why has this particular earthquake or this particular virus or this particular calamity been um, uh, found its way into the plan for this universe? Right. Why so? Uh, how does it? Yeah, how does it uh, uh, benefit us? Okay, so we can't know that in a very fine grained way. Right. We can't know exactly. Uh, why, in a fine-grained way, in, in any uh, given instance? But what we can do is we can know in general terms, all right? And that's how Buddha Zaman talks. Right? He talks generally, all right? So, in general terms, what what do we know, right? We know this, we know that Allah has created us on a certain pattern for certain purposes. He's created us to make His beauty and perfection known. Okay. So, uh, how does Buddha Zaman put it? Well, you know, when Allah creates, he creates with two broad purposes in mind, right? He wants to manifest his beauty and perfection, right, in, in two respects. One, so that he can behold it with his own discerning eye. Uh, and two, so that he can see it through the eyes of others. And what that involves is there existing other beings right? with life and consciousness uh, and the set of faculties that are required to be able to observe divine beauty. Um, we, we're created, we have the relevant faculties with which to observe divine beauty, we observe divine beauty and we're enraptured, right? We love divine beauty. Okay. Like who, for example, wants to um, lose their life, right? Or lose their loved one. Or lose one of their faculties, like their hearing or their vision, or even like just the tip of your finger, right? Nobody. When you notice these things, like you should realise that, well hey, I really do love what Allah has created, because right? I don't want to be parted, right? To the extent that Allah has enabled me to, um, you know, have an experience of these things, to have a connection to these things, I don't want to lose that connection. Right? My connection to the divine beauty that is manifested in creation, right? um, I hold very, very dear. Okay. Um, all right, so we do that. We experience the world. We're enraptured. Uh, and Allah notes that, okay. Allah is aware of our being enraptured. Right? He knows that, right? He, being closer to us than our jugular vein, He knows moment by moment how we're experiencing the world and how we're enjoying it. Um, you know, basically, He knows how we're coming to know Him, moment by moment, moment by moment. We're coming to know Him, right? and He's fully aware of that. Okay. It's you can think of it on this analogy. Uh, say so you love your mother, right? Your mum came down from Botswana, right? Okay. Uh, you love your mother very much and, you know, uh, you summon, let's say, your culinary skills. You go into the kitchen and you make her something delicious to eat. You serve her that and you watch her eat it and you see her enjoy it and if through her enjoying it, you yourself have a joy. Notice that right? Um, So, yeah, but this going to talk about Allah having an infinite, right, a divine, a holy joy in our joy. He sees our joy, right? He he knows our joy, and he has a joy that's suitable to him as a result, right? In the same way, that, like, or I mean, Uh, 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 I mean, you in a shadow-like way, I should say, in a shadow-like way, you too have that when you see your mother's joy at, you know, the meal that you've made her and so on, right? You can make millions of other examples. So, you know, the world is created, the universe is created broadly for these reasons, okay? Now, here's the problem, though. To the extent that a person does not the extent that a person is, is not aware or cognizant, or is forgetful, or rather heedless of their weakness and poverty, right, uh, this mission uh, goes begging. Okay, this particular goal right, um, is not achieved. To whatever extent a person fails to perceive their weakness and poverty, okay, why? Why is that the case? So you have this situation where right, persons think that. Um, they have their own power they have their own strength uh, they have their own abilities they have their own knowledge but this one talks about it here right? we think for example that the attainments of civilization, the advances of science and so on are through what right through our our own intelligence right? our own skill um, our own marvelousness don't we okay um, we think that it's through our power that we're able to you know gain all the things that we enjoy. But in reality, there's actually an inverse relationship between weakness and poverty on the one hand and, you know, gaining these advances and so on on the other. Um, Think about someone like an Einstein or someone along those lines, right? Um, Persons that, uh, you know, have these major breakthroughs in whether mathematics or physics or in any field. They they never have those they they never have those breakthroughs in circumstances where they've been lazy, for example. In circumstances where they've not exerted themselves, for example, right? Um, the Einsteins of the world these are persons that exert themselves. These are persons that work hard, right? Now that working hard, that exertion, that's just one way of showing your weakness and poverty. It's one way of being cognizant of your weakness and poverty. Right? Look at the human being's pitiable state. Right? Relative to Allah, I'm saying. Relative to Allah. Look at the human being. Okay? In order to attain something, in order to know something, in order to advance, right, I've got to put myself under pressure. I've got to exert myself. I've got to experience pain. And I've got to do this quite willingly. Right? Like, look at, Look at us. To go and get a degree, what are you going to do? You've got to um, sign up quite willingly to at least three or four years of pain. All right? Any university student knows this. We, When we gain things, yeah, we gain them to the extent that we exert ourselves. Now, But Allah is not a being like that. Right? Allah is not the sort of being that has to endure pain to achieve something. Allah is not the sort of being that, yeah, you know, has to um, exert himself. For him, to create a single particle and to create the entire universe are equally easy. Um, Whereas for us, look, the bigger the building that I want to build, uh, the greater the extent to which I've got to exert myself. So in that, in that is a lesson for us about how weak and impoverished we are. So prima facie, it looks like we're strong. Like, look at me, I'm a skillful and strong and resourceful builder. Right? I've managed to acquire all these tools and, you know, building materials, and uh, I've been strong enough to build this building. But when you scratch beneath the surface, uh, my ability to build that building is actually a manifestation of weakness because I've got to exert myself, right? Right? I've got to put myself through pain. I've got to sacrifice my time. Uh, and, you know, uh, I've got to be away from my family, etc., uh, etc. Et I've got to undergo disadvantage in various ways in order to, um, you know, produce that. So it's a manifestation of weakness. Now, um, it's that's that's the reason why right, Allah rewards exertion. Right? Like, look at this. Right? Like Allah could have created the universe in the very opposite way if you had or wanted but look at this like um you brother uh, uh you know contrary to me right uh you know work out right and you know quite a toned person unlike me okay um now look notice what does it take to get toned biceps right what does it take you've got to exert yourself you've got to literally lift weights right uh the more you lift weight, and the heavier that weight is, and the more often you engage in that, the greater the muscle grows. All right. So yeah, you know, uh, you've got to endure pain for growth, pain for uh, you know advancement. Um, you know, this is just a general rule, right? Allah rewards you willingly exerting yourself. But what about the person who's lazy? All right. Uh, the person who's lazy, the person, for example, that doesn't get up and exert themselves, look what happens, uh, they deteriorate, right? They lose fitness, they gain uh, fat, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Their muscles atrophy. So the very opposite, right? When you, uh, you know, when when you fail to show your weakness and poverty, right, through exerting yourself, when you fail to do that, uh, yeah, you know, you don't get the relevant benefits, okay? Okay. Um, when we, here's the problem, like, you know, when we willingly exert ourselves, right, you know, we go out there, we willingly exert ourselves, um, and what results from that are certain, you know, from Allah, let's say, right? Now, if in those circumstances we make this mistake, like, because we can analyse that in two ways. We can say either, oh, you know, look, look at me. Look, what a weak and impoverished being. I've got to, I've got to endure pain. I've got to exert myself uh, in order to, in, in other words, I've got to make a kind of dua. That exertion counts as a kind of dua. Right? I've got to make dua, I've got to exert myself, I've got to get up off my couch right? uh, to attain something. Look how weak and impoverished I am. Right? I can either interpret it in that way, or alternatively, I can say, oh, look how accomplished I am, look how strong I am, uh, look, I went out and achieved that, I built that building or I gained that degree, uh, I made that advance in knowledge, I wrote that PhD. Look, you know, it's through my intelligence, my strength, my power. Uh, if you, if you analyse the event in those particular terms, uh, then what happens is that, yeah, quite simply, you fail to see that you're weak and impoverished. You fail to see that you're weak and impoverished, in which case you miss out on something, right? You miss out on something very important. When we, when we are cognizant of our weakness and poverty, right, what happens is this. Okay? I see myself as weak and impoverished, which meant, remember, I am needy and I don't have any means by which to meet my own needs. Okay? If I see myself right, as that, if I see myself in that way, like if, for example, I interpret my exerting myself in this way, huh, my exerting myself is nothing other than this I say to myself, right? I make certain choices, right? In my immaterial mind, right? I make certain choices. I make a choice to get up off the couch, to walk to university, um, you know, uh, I make the choice to sit there. Um, Look at a book. Right? I exert myself to read and understand it, and so on. Right? If I interpret that like this, look, all I'm doing there making certain choices, and then who's giving effect to those choices is Allah. Right? Um, what Allah is doing is He's saying you ex- you make certain choices, right? Knowing that when you make those choices, you're going to experience certain kinds of pain. Certain kinds of difficulty, you're going to exert yourself in certain ways and then Allah is going to bring it about that you're able to walk, that you're able to read, that you're able to understand and so on, right? If I interpret my exerting myself in that way, uh, in other words, in a way where like, I'm almost very, in a sense, very passive, right? my only involvement in the whole scenario is that I make a series of choices, And then my experiencing certain kinds of pain, exertion and so on is from Allah, one. My then moving my arms and legs, right, Uh, being able to get to a certain place, being able to read certain words, understand certain propositions and so on, that is all then done by Allah, right? And my only part in it was just to make certain choices, which I was commanded to make. I was commanded to make choices of that nature anyway. Uh, you know, when I interpret the world that way, when I interpret my place and my acting in the world in that sense, then I notice this, Wow, we you know, it's not, it's not me who's meeting my needs. I have all kinds of needs, many, many things that I want to do, right? Yeah, I want to contribute, let's say, right, as a, you know, graduate or postgraduate student, right, you know, I want to write a thesis where I make a contribution to knowledge, or I want to, as a builder, build a building. Or as a mother, I want to raise my children as best I can. Uh, as a father, I want to be the best husband that I can, right? I want to achieve all these sorts of things, right? Um, I'm needed to that extent, right? Many, many things that I want, Right? Many, yeah, like, you know, for bedizaman, the difference between um, a need and a want and something that you desperately want and so on, they're just separated by degree. They're, you know, uh, they're just things that, yeah, they're just, um, they're all on the same spectrum, right? They're just all at different points on the same spectrum. Yeah? These are all things that we value. They're all things that we want, right? All these needs. Right? We have all these needs, all these things that we value, to varying degrees on a spectrum, yet we have no capacity of our own to meet them. All we can do is make certain choices. We make those choices. Those choices translate into, you know, uh, often difficulty for us, pain for us, right? Which is an important notion in its own right, like why? Why that particular aspect, you know? Um, you know That deserves a discussion in and of itself, you know? But we know certainly that, right? We, when we want to attain certain things, what we've got to do is we've got to make certain choices. Then we experience certain difficulties, certain exertion and pain, right? And then Allah answers that dua, right? Allah gives it to us. Therefore, we're able to experience the world as a, you know, place of, place full of divine bounty. There's niyama everywhere, you know. Uh, every single time that I attain something that I want, right? Every morsel of food that I eat. Every um, goal that I achieve on the way to a greater goal, right? All of these things they're all given to me by Allah. Therefore, I'm able to fulfill the purpose for which I'm created. I am I am coming to know Allah. I get to experience divine beauty being manifested in the world, right? Only because I see myself as weak and impoverished. To whatever extent I fail to see myself as weak and impoverished, in other words, capable of meeting my own needs myself. To that extent, I don't see Allah's hand in it all. I fail to see that Allah is the one who's always meeting those needs, giving me those things that I want. Okay. Um, so it's a critically important matter. Uh, it's an extremely significant matter. Like to to be arrogant. Like well, what does the say here? Give up. It says here. Uh, let's read it again. If I can find it. Give up egotism and arrogance. Okay. Since the reality of the matter is thus, give up egotism and arrogance, with the tongue of seeking help, proclaim your impotence and weakness at the divine court. Okay. We're being asked to yeah, you know, not only not only are we being asked to, you know, uh exert ourselves, like you know, we're being asked to undergo difficulty, undergo pain, but know that despite our undergoing that pain, it's still, right, Not we are not the ones that achieve the result of that pain, right? So what follows after that pain? Right? Here I am. I'm the one who, yeah, here's a barbell, right? <laughs> I'm the one who lifts it, it seems. I'm the one, look, I'm the one who's feeling the pain, I think. Therefore, I must be the one who makes the muscle grow, yeah? I must be the one. No, not at all. You're weak and impoverished just right just for the fact that you've got to endure pain in the first place right and then you're weak and impoverished also in the sense that even after enduring that pain you are not the one that brings about the result often this happens right uh, you go in the gym and you have a workout and you know you don't necessarily achieve what you wanted to achieve right uh, how many persons brother has spent you know a few weeks in the gym and has given up part way through their program Right? has just gotten sick of it. Right? I exert myself and I don't lose the weight that I wanted. Or I didn't get you know the the uh, pectorals that I wanted, etc. Right? Um, it's up to Allah. Even if you do exert yourself to give you what you want, you've got to be cognizant of all of this. Right? You've got to be intimately aware, intimately conscious of your weakness and poverty so that you can see that Allah is the one who is making your muscle grow or making you learn or making you achieve any goal whatsoever that you achieve, whether that's feeding yourself, feeding your family uh, or doing anything in between. Okay, um, So, yeah, we the human being in the end, we see this, right, to summarise. The human being is at a great, great advantage over other beings in this sense. The human being is needier than other beings, right? first of all, right? We what? Well, in what sense are we needier? Well, we're decked out with more faculties, right? um, which means that, yeah, we have greater needs. Like I have eyes. With those eyes, I can see that there's beauty in this world. That makes me want to see that beauty more and more, doesn't it? Right? I have ears with which to hear, let's say, beautiful music, Therefore, right, I want to go on, you know, Apple Music or YouTube Music, and I want to hear more and more beautiful songs. My having these faculties means that I'm needier, I'm more, you know, desirous of the universe. I'm more desirous of the beauty manifested in the universe. But then I've got no ability of my own, as we said, to meet these needs. So I'm needier than everyone else, but no more capable than the contemptible Adam. No more capable than any other one of the beings in this universe of meeting those needs myself. Okay, um, But then I have a, yet a further advantage. So not only am I needier than all other beings, but now I have this advantage. I, I, have, a more comp- I have consciousness. Right? First of all, many beings don't have consciousness. Then I have a more comprehensive. Right? I have a higher quality consciousness than other beings. I, I have intelligence, and I have a higher quality intelligence than other beings. And thanks to these sorts of um, qualities, or, or latifa, these sorts of attributes, if you will, I'm able to know my weakness and poverty. So that's the thing. Not only are we aware beings, we're self-aware beings. We're, not only are we conscious of the world, but we're self-conscious beings. And that is an extraordinary advantage over others. Thanks to this, now, yeah, I'm able to see in a way that the virus cannot or that the animal cannot or that the tree cannot, I'm able to see the hand of Allah's power, right, the hand of Allah's artistry, in general, right, the hand of Allah's beauty acting in this universe. It's through that that I can come to know Allah in a way that other beings can't. And as we know, there is no superiority among beings other than through what? Other than through closeness to Allah. And what does that closeness um, consist in? That closest can consist in nothing other than having a more full-bodied, right, a more comprehensive knowledge of Allah than others. Right? Right? Remembering, of course, that what we mean by this knowledge is not just the, you know, the intellectual sort. Hey, I know more propositions about Allah than the tree or, you know, um, the goat. Right? It doesn't merely mean that. It means this that I can have an experiential knowledge of Allah in ways that the goat cannot. Like I can do this, for example. Right? I can go. And I can see a person in need. I can know, for example, that my elderly neighbour uh, is in quarantine, right, in their home, right, in what they call self-isolation in their home um, uh, and does not have any means by which to obtain um, you know, uh, their daily necessities. So I've got the capacity to feel sorry for that person, right, to pity that person then I've got the capacity to go right, and make a kind of du'a to Allah like this. You know, um, I can choose to go to the supermarket um, at the relevant time. Nowadays, you're going to go pretty early in the morning, otherwise there's nothing left. <laughs> All right. I've got the capacity to make that choice. Then Allah brings it about that I go to the supermarket. Uh, then Allah brings it about that I can buy you know, right, the uh, um, the toilet paper or whatever are the valuable goods nowadays. Mm-hmm. I buy the toilet paper and the rice and the cooking oil. And I can take it to that person. And in doing all of that, so long as I know that my only hand in it was to make a series of choices and to willingly undergo exertion, right? And then, then Allah does all the rest, right? See, now I can have an experiential knowledge of Allah's name, for example, of Kerim or Rahman and Rahim manifesting in respect of that elderly person. Right? But what if I think that, no, no, it's not, it's not Allah at all. I'm the one, hey man, I made those choices. I exerted myself, I went to the supermarket, I bought the oil, right? Um, Big five litre tub of oil and I carried it to the person. If I think that I'm the one that did all that because I'm the one who felt the exertion, I felt the, you know, I felt my muscles twitch as I lifted (laughs) the oil. If I think like that, then I don't... The lion's share in the beauty of that whole state of affairs, that whole event is lost on me, right? And that's important. That's significant because I was created to experienced that. I was created to come to know Allah in those ways, right? So the human being has got the capacity to do this so long as they see, he or she sees um, uh, him or herself as an entirely weak and impoverished being. Through that weakness and poverty, in other words, you can rise to the highest of the high. Who did this? Who did this to the um, highest degree uh, of any being, right? you've got the ability to right you've got the ability right? I think when I say you I'm saying human beings like right, can attain that kind of level right look at the level that was able to be attained right that's what's possible for a human being by accepting your weakness and poverty you can rise to the rank of the Abu Bekirs, or if you don't want to see your weakness of poverty if you want to remain heedless uh you know um uh, heedless and disobedient, you can fall to the level of the Abu Jahils all right um, so therefore, our being woken up to our weakness and poverty right here yeah, right. look, we find ourselves look this room was full last week now right, I am look I feel the pain of you know isolation and separation from my fellow Muslims, you know. Alhamdulillah, at least Shabir made it, you know. But he's, look, a metre and a half away from me. Look at my, you know, like look at our impoverishment. Like, we can't even meet that need, that simple need to be close, right, to be able to embrace your brother or to be able to be in the same room as your, you know, fellow Muslims. We can't even meet those needs. But our being reminded of our weakness and poverty, our inability to meet even these basic needs, our being reminded of it, right, is an infinite good. It's an infinite good. Why? Because it enables you to come to know the beauty and perfection of a being of infinite beauty and perfection. Okay. So it's an infinite good. You know, It's not, uh, you know, uh, for the Muslim, it's, I'll finish on this note, right? Two things, right? In the midst of an earthquake or a coronavirus or a SARS or whatever, you've got to do two things, right? Either you've got to say, look, right, what have I been doing wrong? What ways? Now, I might not be able to put my finger on exactly why. Like, what exactly is the particular wrong or wrongs that I've done that has led to Allah inflicting this calamity on me in particular, right? I might not know that, but in general terms, you know, I should be able to know, well, in what ways can I improve, right? What are the things that, see, like, when have I done things that um, I myself have found questionable, let's say? When have I done things and then later felt guilty about them? I can think about that, you know. But let's say I am, I know I'm not this sort of person, but let's say you're the kind of person where you feel that, look, I've not done those wrongs. I've not done wrongs. Um, well, doesn't matter, right? Let's say you're a child, right? You're a child and, you know, your mum and dad have taught you that, hey, yeah, Allah sees you are sinless so far. You're a 10-year-old child. You've not done any wrong. Well, you're an 8-year-old child. You've not done, done, done any wrong now. So then, why is Allah making me undergo this difficulty? Why? Well, it's so that you can know your weakness and poverty, and that is an infinite good. So either way, either way, you are at an advantage. You know, either way, it's a good. Either way, it's a good. Allah does us no wrong ever. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we'll finish on that note. We'll finish on that note, and inshallah, yeah, we'll continue uh, along these lines next week. Uh, thanks so much uh, to everyone that's managed to. Um, uh, tune into the live stream. Uh, for those that have been unable to do so, um, uh, but have nonetheless listened to the podcast, thank you as well. Uh, yeah, please do join us uh, each Monday at around about 4.30 or so um, uh, for these sessions for the time being, uh, until we can be together again in person, inshallah. Okay. Subhanaka la ilmalana illa ma'alam tana inna kantal alim al hakeem ala rasulina salawat. Allahu alayhi wa Sayyidina Muhammad, lillah al-fatiha. Bismillah. جزاك الله